The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. Welcome to Grace in Focus Radio. Today we have a question that might interest you. Does man choose eternal salvation for himself, or does God choose it for him? What does 2 Peter 3.9 say about this, about predestination, election, and total depravity? In answer to the question, we will look carefully at some of the key words of this verse. Stay tuned later. We'll tell you more about the Grace Evangelical Society. Our website is faithalone.org. Go there for interesting and educational articles and resources. Now here's Ken Yates and Bob Wilkin. Okay, Ken, I think you've got another question. And this is actually a passage that we've talked about a couple of months ago, I think. But the spin this person uh, takes on it is a little bit different. So I thought it was worth talking about 2 Peter 3.9. First of all, it comes up a lot, but secondly, this person is asking it in a different way. This question comes from Bradley. What he is dealing with in 2 Peter 3.9, he's looking at it from the angle of election. Okay. Is man able to choose? And here he's talking about total depravity. And he says, there are many verses such as 2 Peter 3.9, that strongly suggests that man himself must choose. And he's talking here about eternal salvation. God wants none to perish, but everyone to repent. The choice is man's, and God knew in advance who would respond to the call and choose Jesus and those who would not. He's taking an Arminian position, and he thinks that we do as well. And he is arguing against the Calvinist position. Okay, so first of all, what he calls the Arminian position seems to be his understanding that we have a choice to make, right? Right, and he's talking about eternal life. Well, he talks about choosing Jesus or not choosing Jesus. Right. He doesn't actually mention election, or does he? Well, he does in the beginning. He talks about total depravity those he elects and predestines okay. enables them to be saved. And all of that, he's meaning eternal salvation. Right. 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 Okay. So let me hit a f- couple points here. First of all, I don't believe, and I know you don't believe, in individual election to everlasting life. W- one possibility is corporate election, that Christ is elect and all who are in Christ are elect. That is a view. But my view, and I believe it's your view as well, is that God elects to service. And so all the references to election in the New Testament are elections to service, never elections to eternal destiny. So that position is not exactly the Arminian position. I think most Arminians believe in corporate election. There are some Arminians, I think, who believe in election to service. Are you familiar with that one? Or? No, that's the first I've heard of that. All right. Yeah. I believe that's right. But secondly... One of the problems that Bradley has in his understanding of 2 Peter 3.9 is he's not looking at the context. He's just looking at a few words, and he's misunderstanding the words. For example, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. I don't think Bradley has considered what that promise is. We'll look at that in a minute. As some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Why does it say us and who are the us? Not willing that any should perish. Bradley understands perish there to refer to what? Perishing in the lake of fire. Like John 3.16, perishing. Sure. But that's not what it's talking about here. But that all should come to repentance. Now, what does he think repentance is? Yeah, in, in his question, what he thinks is repentance is necessary to be saved from hell. Right. So he's thinking perish is hell. 
and repentance is what keeps us out of hell. Although he talks about choosing Jesus, Jesus, right? Choosing Jesus. So for him, repentance is choosing Jesus? He doesn't go into it, but I'm assuming he would say that repentance is turning from sin or at least sorrow for sin, but I'm not sure. So here's what I'd say, Bradley. You need to look at the condition and the consequence. The condition here is not faith in Christ, and the consequence is not eternal life. The condition here is repentance, and the consequence is not being killed. That's what perishing is here. And how do we know that? Well, if you look at the word promise in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. That word goes up to verse 4 or verses 3 and 4. Some people are asking, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell away, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So the issue is the promise of his coming. And some people say, look, there was no flood. There have been no changes. Everything remains the same as from the beginning. And Jesus hasn't come in thousands of years. And we certainly hear that today. And he's not coming. Right. But in verse 8, Peter makes the point that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So it's not been two days yet since Jesus ascended to heaven. So first of all, the issue is the promise of his coming. What's going to happen when he comes? Peter tells us in verses 10, 11, and 12, which is something that most people don't look at. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Well, remember, Jesus spoke of a thief in the night in Matthew 24. Paul picked up that same imagery in 1 Thessalonians 5, and now Peter has it here as well. And he's talking about the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. What that's talking about is after the millennium, this earth is going to be destroyed. Outer space is going to be destroyed. All the stars, all the planets, all the asteroids, all the comets, it's all going away. We're getting a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus promised that. Didn't he say heaven and earth will pass away? And doesn't Revelation 21 say... I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Mm -hmm. And that's what Peter's speaking of. That's what Peter's speaking of here. So verse 9 is saying something about when Christ comes back, when he fulfills his promise to return, there's going to be destruction of the heaven and the earth. Now, Peter is leaving out everything from the rapture through the tribulation and the millennium and the rebellion at the end of the millennium, and he's moving right to the very end of the millennium. And the reason he can do that is because the expression, the day of the Lord, is a very flexible expression. It can refer specifically to the rapture. It can refer to the tribulation. It could refer to the millennium. It could refer to the rebellion at the end of the millennium. It could refer to the burning up after the millennium. Or it could refer to everything from the rapture to the great burning of the heavens and the earth. Which is the way Peter's using it here. Right. And he's just saying, look, from God's standpoint, it's going to be rapture, new heaven, new earth, in a sense. I mean, this millennium, it's going to be like one day in the Lord's economy. You could say that with the rapture of the church... It started. This new heaven and new earth, this program is, here it comes. So I would suggest this, and I know, Bradley, this sounds a little radical, but I think what he's saying here is God doesn't want anyone to die prematurely. Of course, originally, God didn't want people to die at all, right? If Adam and Eve had not sinned, there would have been no death, period, and probably not animals either. 
But because they sinned, death came. But initially, God allowed them 900 to 1,000 years, right? Before the flood. The least we have is 777 years, other than Abel, who was killed by his brother. For example, Adam lived 930 years. So, you know, they were living eight, nine centuries or more. Then, because of the flood, life expectancy dropped tenfold. And so, like in Psalm 90, Moses tells us that 70 to 80 years is the normal kind of life expectancy after the flood. And that's what happened. We saw the lives drop off. But what's going to happen is when Christ returns, you'll have a seven-year tribulation period. And during that time, probably over half of the world's population will die. The book of Revelation seems to add together to more than half, right? Yeah, and I just want to add, you mentioned about the promise, but also the word perish. What does it mean? He does not want any to perish. Well, the word also occurs in verse 6, when it's talking about the flood, that the world perished. Well, the perish there is not hell. That's exactly right. And guess how many other uses there are of the word apollomy or perish in Second Peter? I think that's it. That's it. These that's two, exact- both in the same context. And so the first is physically dying. There were born again people, certainly, that died in the flood. The perishing was physical death there. And so the same thing in verse 9. And the repentance is the antidote for billions dying during the tribulation. This is going to be billions Two of the plagues, one of the seals and one of the trumpets, if I remember right, is half the population. So if that happened today, that alone, those two alone would be three and a half billion. It's going to be huge. And so God doesn't want people to die prematurely. Originally, no death at all. Then 900 years. Now he wants them to live a full 70, 80, 90, 100 years. Well, that's not going to happen when the rapture occurs. And basically what this repentance is saying is that as long as there's enough repentance worldwide, then the worldwide death and destruction will be forestalled. And this is a principle we find all through the Old and New Testament. When the sins of a nation or the sins of a city or the sins of the world are filled up, then judgment falls. As in Genesis 6. With the flood of the whole world. Or Genesis 19 with Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. The nations in Canaan when when their sins are, are full now. And so every time the sins are full, judgment falls, and that's true with the world. So what I would suggest to Bradley is, yes, people do have something to do with whether they're born again or not, but it's not a choice. What we do is we believe in Jesus and we're born again. We are convinced that he gives eternal life as a free gift that can never be lost, that he can give it to us as a Christ. And we don't really choose to believe. No, we're convinced that it's true. But if we don't believe it, we can be attracted to it, right? Mm -hmm. And so we can choose to pray about it. We can choose to seek. We can say, God, show me the truth. Sure. And we can choose to maybe go to church, read our Bible, talk to a Christian. None of those things is choosing Jesus. What those things are doing is I'm choosing to learn about Jesus. I'm choosing to learn about the promise of life. I'm choosing to pray. And if the unbeliever does that, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In fact, in Acts 17, 27, Paul said that God has granted to the nations that they might grope after God, if perchance they might find him, and he's not far from all of us. Yes, we have a choice involved, but the choice is really to be open to Jesus and his word. If we don't believe and we would be open to it, then seek God. 
pray about it. Seek God. And if you want to read more about it, we have a couple of articles at faithalone.org. And just click on the little magnifying glass and type in 2 Peter 3.9. Thanks so much. Keep grace in focus. Thank you, gentlemen, for that interesting discussion. Would you like to deepen your understanding of Scripture and the Christian life? Well, a great place to start is our website. It's faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. We've got all kinds of free materials on the site available for you. One of those which is extremely popular is our magazine, Grace in Focus. It comes out six times a year. It's full color, easy to read, and people are really growing who read it. So stop by and get a free subscription at faithalone.org. We would like to thank all of our financial partners who help us keep this show going. All gifts are tax deductible and very much appreciated. If you'd like to find out how you can be a financial partner, visit us at faithalone.org. We are so happy when we hear from listeners. Maybe you've got a question or comment or feedback. If so, please send us a message. Here's our email address. It's radio at faithalone.org. That's radio at faithalone.org. Next time on Grace in Focus, we begin a new mini-series on Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. I hope you'll join us for that. This is the Grace Evangelical Society reminding you to always keep grace in focus. The proceeding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.